Hello, this is Chris Jansen. My podcast is called End Evil. You can check out my work at endevil.life. This presentation was put together specifically for the Funnel Conference, Freedom Under Natural Law. Working with some friends of mine, we've created a group called the Natural Freedom Alliance. And we came up with this idea to create a conference. My particular presentation, I've decided to call the Ultimate Connection. I hope to challenge you in your belief systems, and I hope to motivate and inspire you to get to the core and the inner journey of what makes you a human and why we're here on this planet and the big questions. We're really going to tackle in this presentation the biggest and most difficult questions, but I think the most important questions that I want folks to be thinking about. So to me, the best way to go about sharing that information is to express my own personal journey and part of my own personal journey was asking the biggest questions of all like what is the most important thing why are we here what's the point of it all the subtitle is the divine creative theory so here are the biggest questions why are we here What is the purpose? Are we meant to struggle? And is God fucking with us? I put in that last question purposefully to challenge those of you who have your own preconceptions or views about what God is, and I intend to challenge those. So if you find that little blurb right there, is God fucking with us uh, offensive, you might want to uh, be on guard because this presentation will challenge your beliefs. I personally, as I will talk more about, grew up um, embedded in religion. Uh, Luckily for me, I was able to ask a lot of these big questions in ways that brought me to questioning everything. And one thing I used to do often was ask people as I grew up, what is the most important thing to you? And to see what people's answers were. So often people answer with my family or, you know, being happy, a good career. And I would challenge those answers as being really not getting at the core of why we're actually here. I think there is a deeper reason. I think we all have something important we're to be doing here on this planet, in this reality. And that's why I'm here to challenge and motivate you today to reconsider that in your own life. So my point of view is that there are solid answers to these questions. However, the answers that I find won't be exactly the same as the answers you find. Because for each of us, this is an inner journey, a spiritual journey. And the true answers are only found within each of our own selves. Which is why I'm putting this presentation together from my own personal point of view, from my own heart and my own journey. So I will attempt to answer those questions from my point of view in this presentation, and I will hope that you will do the same in your own mind and in the weeks and months and years following watching this presentation. So it's really about the path, the spiritual journey, which is to know thyself, to understand why you're here. What else could be more important? Is this all just an accident or a mistake? Well, those of us who um, have been seeking truth and considering 
all the different options and asking the bigger questions know that there are important things to be looked at and discovered. So really, my audience, the people I'm trying to reach with this presentation are the truth seekers, the freedom advocates, the conspiracy researchers and theorists, the philosophers, and the seekers. If you find yourself fitting to one of those categories, then this is definitely the presentation for you. This should give you some good, healthy thoughts for the coming weeks and months. So first, just a little bit about myself. My childhood, uh, I was part of the Christian church. My father was a preacher, and he was a very uh, consistent churchgoer. And we went to Sunday schools and church meetings and study groups. And as I found myself a young man, I was pretty excited about studying these things and thinking about philosophy because it was something my father really cared about. And, of course, I wanted to impress my father, but it also grabbed hold of me deep inside because I was always a questioning individual. So I spent a lot of time in Christian studies. Father had many books in our house. That's kind of why I put the pictures of the books in the background. We had concordances, and we had multiple different versions of the Bible next to each other. And he was constantly challenging ideas and thinking about things, not your average traditional church grower. My dad was uh, very much encouraged me to ask questions and not to take other people's answers for granted, which I'm very thankful for because I decided at a very young age, even when I was in church, to um, look at these things from my own personal logical perspective and find the answers that made sense to me. And if I didn't find some kind of logic or sense in things, then I wasn't necessarily just going to believe them. And that's a lot about what this presentation is about, is asking, continually asking the deeper questions and not just taking someone else's answers for granted. So here's what I'm going to ask of you. This is my favor I'd like to ask of you for this presentation, is to put yourself as best you can in your infant mind. Think about the wonders of a little child. I love this picture, this cheerful little baby. What's awesome about being young and not having lots of experiences in life is that you don't have all these other things to compare to. You just have to go based on each moment as it happens. And what that does is puts you in a place of humility and innocence. And what you don't know opens the doors to what you can know. So this is about your inner child learning and rediscovering that curiosity. And it's going to require that in order to get through some of these more difficult subjects. Find your inner child and ask yourself if you can, as best as possible, step away from your preconceived notions and try to look at it with a fresh new mind. So here's a picture of the arc. This is a big part of the journey for those of us who've read the stories in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we're told all these stories. And what I've come to recognize is this was my resistance in religion early on, was that some of these stories that we were told just didn't seem to align with the reality that I was experiencing. 
and I was being asked to take these stories on faith. And over the years, I've come to look at faith in a very different way than it was originally related to me through Christianity. And that's what I want to share with you, that so many of these stories were told are not necessarily the truth, that the stories become their own religion. And they use these stories all through history to convince us of things or to motivate us to do things that are part of their agenda. So I've always been skeptical of some of these outlandish stories and the reason why we're being asked to um, just on faith except stories that really don't seem um, like anything we actually experience in our reality. So, you know, the idea is that these are miracles and that these are miracles brought on earth by God. And that is the part of religion that I think leads people astray. And I would challenge you to ask yourself if these stories really align with the reality you've experienced and whether you're just taking them on faith because you've been told to. So in my personal journey, I began studying other books and other stories and they brought in new questions. I also discovered other ancient ancient history, uh, mysteries, and timeline anomalies that are totally unexplained. There's many books you can look at, Forbidden Archaeology. There's people that have found artifacts in the world that don't fit in at all with the timeline. And one good example of that is maps. There's maps that exist that predate our ability to map longitudinal lines and yet they have in detail all these specific shores of Antarctica for instance well drawn out in ancient maps that seem to be pre-existing to the timelines that we've even heard and then we look into the Egyptian mysteries and the pyramids there's so much going on with these ancient structures that not only the pyramids but all around the world that were built in similar patterns with geometric designs that line up with stars and planets that have very specific measurements that align proportionally to the size of the earth and in relation to us and other stars. So where does all this knowledge, complex knowledge and history come from? It keeps asking more and more questions. And as I look deeper into these things, originally it was just a fun kind of I like mysteries and it's exciting to uh, look into these things and learn more about them. So originally it was just curiosity that made me ask these questions. But when you begin looking at the history that I discovered in the biblical stories and then you begin looking at ancient history of humans and more and more research has come out from people that are looking into these mysteries that are found in ancient structures around the world and giant things that were built out of stone that we have no idea how they were made. We also have the symbology that's all over these pyramids and, and on all kinds of artifacts. They all make us ask so many questions about what we don't understand about what happened in ancient history, and what brought us to where we are now. 
I got into a man named Zachariah Sitchin, but he found some very interesting data. And as I read through Zachariah Sitchin's books and what he gained from the cuneiform tablets is he brings about all these stories of another way to look at history. There's many books you can look into written by Zachariah Sitchin. He does uh, quite a job. He did quite a job of comparing not only ancient texts, but he would compare them with biblical texts and other ancient books as well and find comparisons on multiple levels between both ancient books, things we find in the real world and artifacts, and then biblical. So it was an interesting thing, and the point of me bringing all this up is just to say that this was part of the journey that shattered my previous um, beliefs surrounding the Christian religion because there was this whole other story that, that says, you know what, in many ways, this story I'm looking at here actually makes a lot more sense. When I look at what was told in the biblical stories, um, this story that Zachariah Sitchin put together, it just um, kind of ties together a lot of these stories in a way that I appreciated more. And not to say I believe it, and I don't recommend that you just believe something. That's part of the point of this presentation, is to not just believe things, but to ask deeper questions and to wonder about things. So if you haven't, I highly recommend to check out The Lost Book of Enki. I think that was Zachariah Sitchin's best work, and it tells a pretty interesting story. If you want to believe it or not, it'll keep you entertained. It's pretty exciting, especially if you're one like myself who studied biblical texts. It's just another way of looking at it. And the point of all this is that these ancient cuneiform tablets that were found are real. They're things that we can actually, you know, research about. And then when you go another step beyond that, you find that there's other ancient texts, such as the Epic of Gilgamesh. And there's also the Book of Enoch. And these stories also tend to, you know, some of these other things that aren't in the Bible that tell um, stories, basically, of these godlike people that were on the earth. People, gods, what were they? We don't know. But there was powerful beings that had an effect on humankind and that altered the course in these stories of what people did. And it really brings into question uh, what these miracles that, like I was discussing before, I had so much trouble believing these miracles that perhaps some of these so-called miracles had to do with ancient technology that actually some beings had technology similar to what we have now that we haven't discovered yet, and they were able to do things that most people don't know how to do in the modern day. And when you start looking at some of these ancient stories in this way, you begin it begin for me to make more sense but the point of what i'm bringing this all up is not to say which story should you believe in the point here is to question all the stories and to not get stuck on one particular story as being the truth because it's really not about the story so here's um something i picked out of the bible um, where we're going to ask the question, what were they talking about here? Were we talking about God, or are we talking about 
guts. So here's one little part from Genesis where it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Why does God refer to himself as us? So this is an important question. Even after all these years in translations, there's still these references to us and we. So are we talking about the God or are we talking about the gods? Again, this is only important to raise questions and to rethink things. So on my own personal journey from there, another subject I got into is the origins of humanity, which is why are we here? And this is, again, back to the big questions. And this also brought about another question is, what is it about humans that's different from animals? Some people, many people I discuss the subject with, say there's no difference, that we are animals. However, when I've considered it myself, I think that we are different from animals. We have some capabilities and things that animals don't necessarily have. So think about reproduction. Most animals, when they're born, they pretty much pop out ready to go, already already having instinctual desires that teach them how to get food or all the little basic functions of what they do. They don't need to think a lot about these things. They just do them. However, humans have this very interesting situation where we need to be taught just about everything and we need to be cared for for much longer than most animals. So in terms of healing, um, we have some very different things that we do from other animals in terms of how we go about healing. It seems like we get sick easier than animals in many ways. And it also seems like we require more technology and assistance from nature than most animals do to heal from sicknesses. Then we have feelings. We have these incredible, complex emotions and feelings. And I'm not saying that animals don't have feelings, but it does seem very obvious that humans have a larger realm and capability for feelings. And then in terms of making tools, we know that some animals, even crows, for instance, use tools and monkeys. But humans have um, a much larger capability to use inventions and tools. Which brings me to the last point, are we self-sustaining in nature? And what I've noticed is that we come here with these fleshy bodies. And we just don't seem quite as equipped as most animals to survive in nature. Without the community of other humans and the technology that we create to defend ourselves, we are pretty um, delicate in nature and we don't survive well without without having some sort of habitat, without creating ourselves an environment of um, protection from the sun and wind and rain, whereas animals come with their fur coats and they're just good to go. So there is differences between animals and nature.
we have the prefrontal prefrontal cortex, which allows for complex reasoning and emotional analyzation. And this is a level of brain power that most animals don't have at all and very few have at all. And then I think one of the most important differentiations is understanding, knowing the difference between right and wrong. And we're going to get more into that subject. But another thing that also occurred to me that differentiates us humans from animals is our ability to tell stories and to use our imagination. It's hard to say how much imagination animals have, but as far as I know, I've never heard of animals telling stories or imagining things that are not real. Now, as you see in the background of this slide, there's a picture of an ape a gorilla. And they are kind of like the one strange, um, as far as animals go, kind of um, different from most other animals in that they have a lot of similarities to humans and they can do things that most other animals can't do. And so this brings a lot of questions to mind, especially considering traditional schooling will teach you that we evolved from apes. And I've come to doubt that explanation, that story, if you will, because of other things I've come across. And I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I would encourage you to look at the work of Lloyd Pye, who asks questions like, what if chimps and gorillas shared the planet with hominoids? And he also brings up the intervention theory, which is very similar to what I discovered in the work of Zachariah Sitchin, that somewhere in ancient past, there was an outside force that came in into other beings with technology that, that either messed with the DNA of chimps and gorillas or hominoids, and perhaps, as in the story went that Zachariah Sitchin um, translated from the cuneiform tablets, that we were actually created as a slave race for these other beings with technological superiority. Now, I'm not saying this is the story you should believe. It's just another good example of why you shouldn't necessarily believe one story, because we can always find another story that could possibly make more sense. And it's really not about the story in all actuality. But my point here is just to ask you to ask the bigger questions and question your belief structures, because this is the path I went down, and these were the influences that made me question my former thoughts and belief structures. And this is a very important question that came into my mind. What causes humans to want to be slaves? Why are humans so easily manipulated and controlled? In many cases in history, we can see where there were so many slaves that if they would have worked together, they could have easily destroyed their captors. However, there's a tendency of humans to, to allow themselves to become slaves, to not use their full capabilities, and to allow themselves to be manipulated and controlled. And this is the most important dynamic that is going on in the modern times. And I'm looking for explanations for why this is. And this was part of why I centered in on the intervention 
story or the interference theory that's been raised because it partly explains how that could have come about where if our genes were actually our DNA, our actual physical being at some point in ancient history was manipulated to make us that way, to alter the hominoids DNA in order to make them into these human slaves. Now, that may not be the story, but it is a good question. Now, even in modern times, we see this situation in the world evolving around us, changing around us, where more people seem to be compliant and willing to follow rules that don't make sense to the rest of us. And it brings this question forward even more as to why are people so easily manipulated and fooled? Why do they want to believe these big lies that seem so obvious to those of us who have asked deeper questions and have discovered ourselves and the importance of our own personal freedom? What does cause humans to want to be slaves? Well, I think part of it has to do with the fact that a small majority rules all the sheep. This is a dynamic we've seen all through history. It's a dynamic we see ramping up in modern days. I don't think even the most person who might disagree with conspiracies still can recognize that there is a small majority in the world that rules all the others. And is that a good way for things to be? Well, I would challenge that. So that really gets us to the crux of the problem. And this is what I want to concentrate on. The crux of the problem is we see things happening in the world like pain, suffering, um, rape, murder, stealing, coercion, starvation. And these things aren't going away. They've been going on and on all through history. So I put on this wheel here to describe to you that this problem isn't just a modern problem. It's a cycle. It's a cycle that has been continuing through time. And it, it's an important time in history now because we have the opportunity to really look at the his, historical problem and the cycle, and we have the opportunity to end the cycle or to change it. And in order to do that, we need to really recognize that the crux of the problem is that humans have allowed themselves all through history to become slaves. And they haven't fought for freedom for every individual to the extent that it needs to be done in order to free us from the small majority. And the small majority leading the large population of sheep has just led us into lots and lots of problems. So again, this is where I'm going to ask you to find that inner child, to look at these questions I'm going to ask with innocent, humble eyes from the point of view of maybe you don't know everything. I didn't know a lot of things. None of us know things until we discover them. None of us have a revelation until we realize something. And there's 
a lot I still have to realize. There's a lot you still have to realize. So let's put ourselves in that inner child place. And where I'm going to head next is to ask you to re-examine the very fundamental basic beliefs you have in your head and your mind about what are good and evil. So often I think these words are misconstrued and we could argue about definitions, but I chose purposefully for the sake of this presentation to not spend a lot of time on definition of words and etymology, which is something I love to do, but it can get a bit dry. So this is just kind of a heart-based approach, and I'm going to define these words as I see them. And you disagree if you want, but I'm using these words to mean a certain thing, and that's why I'm asking you to use your inner child mind and to look at these words in a different way than you previously have. So what is the word evil? Well, if you just add the D to the front of it, you get devil. And this has often meant for many people, especially those who come from religious background, this uh, sort of creature with horns, this evil entity that wants to tempt you to do bad things. But I would like to ask you to look at it differently. From my point of view, all evil is is the destruction of good. So that which takes away from good. Anything like war, suffering, rape, murder, any type of stealing, basically, is a form of evil. So evil is just sort of like the, the sucking away of life, the taking away of growth, turning our back on the creative source energy that we're all part of. Here's an interesting thing. If you look at the word evil and you mirror it, you get the word live. Is that just an accident? It's strange how often words have these these uh, symbolic and, and interesting um, ways where you put them together and you see these parallels and reflections. Is that just coincidence? Or is that just reflection of reality? Well, I would ask you to, instead of looking at evil as just bad, as evil is the bad that humans do when humans steal from one another. I'm not talking about um, when a volcano blows up and a town of people die below it. That's a natural event. That's not evil in my description of what this word means. I'm using the word to, to mean when one human does something to another human or or to nature. So I'm asking you to redefine this word from way you might have previously thought about it. So how about the word God or good? This is a very difficult one because so often we have been told all these stories like I described from our religious backgrounds of what God means. But what I'm describing in this presentation if you just add another O to the word, again, an interesting word combination, you get good. And I think of the phrase, it's all good. Anything that's not stealing or taking away from another human being, basically taking away rights, is good. Evil is the destruction of freedom, is a quote I like to use from Jeremy Locke, his book, The End of All Evil. point is that let's look at for the sake of this presentation, let's look at God as just that which is not evil. You know, everything is all good. 
and that's just creation. That's that's the very um, reality that we're living in that I'm describing is good. So here's some pictures to kind of further describe what I'm talking about. People conjure up these images of the devil guy with the horns or the hell with the brimstone and the fire. And they, they want to draw these pictures of God being this heavenly being with rays of light or, you know, these angels. You know, these are all um, what I'm going to call stories. You can take them if you want, but I think it makes sense to think about this subject differently and to look at what do we actually do on this reality and what do we actually experience and not not all these fantastical stories. So that's not what I'm talking about. So I'm just trying to make that clear. I'm not talking about these mythical stories. I'm not talking about Jesus being this long-haired white guy and the devil being this red guy with horns. This is, um, from the point of view I'm describing, is an allegorical story to help us understand the battle that goes on within each of us. So the Jesus character would represent our good self, and the um, the Satan or the devil, the evil, represents the part of us that wants to one-up other people and take things from them, steal something, so that we can better ourselves. And this is a constant battle. Because we have freedom in this life, in this existence, we have the ability to do these things, which is the amazing thing about freedom. We can, you know, with our hands go and take something that's not ours. But does that make it right? No. Right is actually something that we have. You know, we have a right to our own body. We have a right to our own mind, our own things. And as soon as we step away from what's right, we become wrong. So that's what I'm describing as evil. So using this way of thinking, let's move on and look at one of the other misconceptions or um, maybe not necessarily a misconception, but way of looking at things that I would like you to consider. Often when I talk about ending evil, people will say, that's impossible, you can't end evil. It's, it's a force that will always exist no matter what you do. But I'm not talking about the perspective of the universe or the universal perspective. And um, I think a good description of that is the yin-yang, which is representation of polarity, of light and dark, that there is this, there's always two sides to every coin, There's always, and there's destruction and creation, and they work together to create the reality we live in. But that's not what I'm describing as, and, as evil and good. And that is like a universal perspective. When you zoom way out and you look at things from the grand perspective, you can look at this sort of hermetic um, light and dark. And what we're talking about for the sake of this presentation is what we actually do in the world with our time and our energy. And that is what I'm talking about is the perspective of the individual. Perspective of the individual is when we can look at evil as things we do like stealing and good like things we do just living our life without stealing. Pretty simple. So you don't have to necessarily take these definitions and use them for the rest of your life, but at least so you can understand what I'm talking about, a different way of looking things and a different way of asking these questions. And in that way, when you look at it, evil is something that can be ended.
because all it means is that humans don't steal from other humans and they don't murder other humans and they don't um, rape other humans and all these type of things, take things that aren't theirs. So when we look at reality, this was a big um, changing point for me in my own personal experience when I began to discover the seven hermetic principles, mentalism, correspondence, vibration, polarity, rhythm, cause and effect, and gender. Prime um, absolutes that are at the core of reality. And I haven't yet heard anybody try to say that the seven hermetic principles don't make sense. You know, when you read them and you study them, it seems very obvious that this is sort of like core basic things about reality. And there are basic core things about reality that are hard facts that you can discover and think about and compare other things in life with. And you're going to come up with the same answers every time. So one way I like to compare it to is mathematics. Is that math is different than a lot of other sciences in that equation you really only get one answer and there's really only one solution if someone tries to tell you that two plus two is six they're just wrong and that's kind of the way it is when we look at first principles and objective morality there is a such thing of truth and you can discover it and there are things that can't be any further divided or separated or um, doesn't matter which perspective you look at it it's still the same thing it is what it is and so knowing that there are such things in life that don't need stories to be told about them that can be discovered leads us to a deeper understanding of natural law. And this, this um, was something I discovered through the work of Mark Passio on whatonearthishappening.com. He's the first person that really put these words out there. Natural law, again, um, when we talk about good or evil, any of these words... You know, other people might interpret these words differently and say they mean something they don't mean. This is what I mean when I'm talking about natural law. This is the law that is pre-existing to humans. This is the law that's binding, that doesn't change, that is inherent in all of nature, the code of all reality, that is universal across the board and unmutable. So nothing we do or think is ever going to change this law. It's just... It is the king. Law is king. It's built into the very fabric of reality. And if you've never thought about this concept before, let it sink in. It takes a while. It's a hard concept to wrap your mind around. But it's only that way because it's been so obscured by um, our society and our culture, which is very determined to live, like I said before, as slaves, as subservient. And um, people are very caught up in all these stories. So it's hard to see through all the stories to see through to the divine truth, which is that there is a reality that we live in that does have some hard edges. It does have some, you know, um, for instance, a cliff. You walk off a cliff, you're going to fall. You know, there's certain things about reality that doesn't matter how hard you think about it. It is what it is. And um, an example I like to give is a mountain. You know, Mount Everest, you can say it doesn't exist. You don't want to believe in it, but there's a million ways to prove it's there and it's real and it exists. And you can go there and see it for yourself, climb halfway up, and jump off and see if you don't fall. <laughs> I guarantee 
you're going to discover that there are absolute truths to this reality. It doesn't matter what you think or want to believe. So that's really the core important concept in my personal journey that I came across to help me realize and reacquaint myself with God. Because when I, I was able to rediscover the wonder of my spiritual life when I discovered natural law. It's a better way for me personally to explain the reality we live in and the importance of spirituality when you understand that everything we do matters because we're all interconnected, because we're part of nature, and it's the source of all energy and the source of all creative energy. So the next question I would like you to ask is what are you? What are you made of? Are you just a bunch of chemicals? I really like this picture I found um, on the internet because it shows the human body and all the elements and it makes the human body look like a cool solar system. And to me that kind of expresses some of the, the hermetic principles that as above, so below. But... Um, you know, is all we are just this physical form? Are we just a bunch of molecules and chemicals? Or is there something more to what we are as humans and what what we're supposed to be doing here? Are we just acting out a play? Or are we part of this creation experience that's going on all around us? So the um, really what I'm getting at is that it's not just about the body. There's many experiences that people have had all through history, near-death experiences, things that have even been discovered in a scientific um, way that that show that there is more to life than just the physical body and the chemicals and the molecules. And that's where I'm going to bring it back to the importance of the inner journey, the spiritual path, and knowing thyself. I think this is the most important part of what we are on this existence and it's our opportunity to change things in the world is to go on our own personal inner journey spiritual path of knowing yourself and this is not an easy task I'm not trying to say it is but it is the most important task that we have to do while we're here so what does it consist of well in modern times partly it's recognizing evil. It's recognizing the evil within ourselves and the evil within others. The evil lies within the wolf in sheep's clothing. There's evil within religion. All religions have evil within them because they're asking you to swallow things that may not be true. And that's a type of stealing, any type of lying or asking you to accept a story that you don't know to be true is a type of false um, prophesying in a way. And I picked um, another out of the Bible. Um, like I said, I don't think that we should totally throw the Bible out. I think it has um, much wisdom in it. And I still look through my Bible and find important concepts and philosophy, things that we can meditate on and learn from. And here's one 
passage I picked out, and it has two really important points that I wanted to share with you here. A tree and its fruit. Um, verse 15 says, this is from Matthew, Beware of the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So this passage has two really important concepts I wanted to share with you. Um, the first part about the false prophets. Here's a warning um, that there are people that are going to come at you in sheep's clothing, but inside they're ravenous wolves. So to me that represents an emptiness inside of people. And often people that are empty inside, that haven't done their own spiritual work, they want to come on the, on the exterior world and try to influence you and convince you to be like them because they feel lacking. So they come at you like a wolf and they want to, t- wolf and they want to take away from you and eat at you, take your energy and use you to help them feel better about their emptiness. And we can see this in many aspects of modern culture. We can see it in many aspects of religion where people kind of go along to get along or they are willing to make faith, have faith in a story rather than faith in their own self. So um, you can recognize this. You have discernment. This is an ability that you have within you. And that's what it means by, by their fruit. You will recognize them. You can see what people do with their time, with their energy, and it's a good way to discern whether there's someone you should trust or not. So the other part of this passage um, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. I picked this out because it was um, discussed in a little um, video which I really enjoyed by Alan Watts. And if you haven't read any books or studied any Alan Watts, I highly recommend Alan Watts. He's somebody to look at. But he has a say, he has um, a discussion where he says you can't get intelligent beings from an unintelligent universe. So you don't get figs from thorns. Basically, you can look at example of nature, and it is intelligent. Everything about in, everything about nature is intelligent. It's amazing, and it's constantly regrowing and learning and evolving and changing. And how could such an uh, intelligent universe um, just all be by accident? Just all some sort of cosmic um, whoops. Oh, now we got humans, right? And he's making a good logical point that things just don't work that way. You don't get intelligent beings from an unintelligent universe. So for those of you who have thought of yourself as an atheist, I would ask you to Reconsider that perspective and ask yourself, do you really live in an unintelligent universe? Perhaps the reason many people go to atheism is just because, like I described in my own experience, their own frustration with religions and cultures that want to keep basing moral rules and laws on stories and storytelling and all that that surrounds 
the culture and the belief systems of religious dogma without looking at the actual hardcore truth is that the reality we live in is amazing and intelligent and that there are always results to our actions and that everything we do actually matters and always comes around in one way or another as effects. So this brings me to the power of belief. The power of belief has changed the world drastically all through history. It shows, it's a good example of what people can do when they put their minds together. But it also shows that over time, one of the things that has inspired people to do such amazing things is the power of belief. So belief is an incredible power. And that's a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing is that all through history, people that want to be in power have used belief to their advantage to convince or um, encourage people to do things that they might not do otherwise. And because people are easily led and because these fantastical stories seem so amazing about miracles and things that we haven't experienced in our actual reality, they can be convinced to believe that they need to do something or they need to go fight in a war or they need to be help being part of building this temple. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't build amazing temples or statues, but I am saying that we could do fantastic things that would help all of humanity if our energy was in the right place and if we didn't allow ourselves to so easily be driven by those in power using our beliefs. So the point is we need to question our belief systems. And before we go sign up or have faith in someone else's story, we really need to internalize and question the stories we've been told and what the lessons really are that we should be taking from these stories. So I want to take just a minute to talk about the creation of the script. I think this has been one of the most powerful historical things that has been used to guide people all through history to do things and um, people tend to be followers people tend to follow the script because it's so well written but when we look at the Bible and I'm concentrating on the Bible in this presentation because it was my personal history of what um you know, I was really indoctrinated with as a young person. But the creation of the script is happens in many books, many religious um, books and scripts. And this is just one particular place where we see this going on is in the Bible. We can look through history. I found a website that listed in order um, all these documents and stories that led to the Bibles we know of now. And it goes on and on and on about all the rewrites and translations and different points of view on these ancient texts that have been found. It just keeps coming and coming. I'm not going to read all these to you. You can do this research yourself. But the point of this here is that there's not just one Bible. There's hundreds of different ways of looking at these ancient stories and they've been put together in different ways and they've been translated in different ways. In, in many ways, it makes me think of the telephone game 
where one person tells a story and that person tells a story to the next person and that to- and the story keeps changing over the years. Um, and when you add into that different languages and um, people in power who have used these stories because, um, like I said, they know the power of belief and what people can be convinced to do, then it's hard for me to accept that people in power in history have not affected these translations and versions. And um, then we got stuff that never made it in the Bible, like I described before, um, Book of Enoch, Dead Sea Scrolls, and, um, you know, why are some books in there and some not? Who, Who made those decisions? You know, some people will tell you that this is divine, it comes straight from God, but you can see all through history that a lot of humans were involved with this process. And, you know, it just doesn't make logical sense that this was all one thing that, you know, all these humans over time have affected these stories that we've heard and read. And this exists in every religion, different stories, and and through history, people using these stories to manipulate others. A few things I picked out of the historical um, chain of events with these Bibles Um, The Roman Catholic Church declares Latin as the only language for scripture. The Council of Toulouse strictly forbids and prohibits lay people from owning a Bible. This is my favorite one. Forty-four years after Wycliffe's death, church officials dig up his bones, burn them, and scatter the ashes on the Swift River. Boy, that seems like a real important thing to do, right? Tyndale is condemned as a heretic, strangled, and burned at the stake. So history, we also see this whole idea of heresy and people being burned at the stake or drowned when they don't agree with the prevailing people in power. So if you know something and it's true, why do you need to force other people to believe you? You know, If you had a Bible and it had the ultimate solution to everything, then why would you forbid people to own their own copy? If you had a true connection to God, why would you have the need to keep translating and retranslating all these stories? Why does it get so complicated? Well, it's just more um, ammunition from my point of view to show that really um, spirituality doesn't come from books. These stories and these um, scriptures and various religious texts around the world are all indications they all have one commonality, and that is the heart of what they're talking about is our connection to the Spirit and our connection to God. And that's what I'm asking you to reconsider and look at in a new way with this presentation. Here's what happens when we fall for other people's stories and we just blindly accept religion. This is what I call blind faith. Um, the Holy Jihad is things like the Crusades in history where people got so fired up about religious doctrine that they were willing to go kill other people that didn't agree with them or to force people to um, learn it or else. And that seems very hard to believe that any kind of loving God would want his people to destroy one another You know, it's just 
it doesn't fit in in so many ways with what love is or what good is. You know, obviously it's stealing. When you kill somebody, you're taking something that wasn't yours. So they're breaking the basic moral code by doing any kind of killing. And we have times in history where people have been led to do lots of killing and taking and enslaving other human beings under the pretense of what they were doing was what God told them to. And this is the danger of having blind faith. And this is why I would encourage you to rethink your belief systems. You don't want to wind up being part of evil because you were tricked into believing something and that led you to doing evil things. You need to know for yourself what's right and wrong. And that is the core of what spirituality is really about. So this is a little um, video I put in here, a little clip I wanted to share with you because it describes to me very well the experience I've had and that other people may experience when you really have to go through this long night of the soul and question your belief systems. Many times people have invested their whole life in a belief system and it's a very difficult thing to start over or to question. And um, the spiritual journey is not an easy path. So I put this clip in specifically to um, share with you how it feels and I think you'll understand. This is from The Never Ending Story. Uh, Treyu was on his way to find the oracle and he gets stuck in this swamp of depression. I forgot what they call it. But if you start feeling sad feelings, it sucks you into the swamp. Everyone knew that whoever let the sadness overtake him would sink into the swamp. I think it had a good job of bringing about that that feeling that we all go through somewhere in life where we lose hope and we lose part of ourself. So I feel like the horse represents the part of ourself that 
wants to hang on to old thoughts and feelings and it winds up kind of dragging us down at a certain point as hard as it is you know we have to let go of parts of ourselves that aren't working out and uh, many times these these stories we tell ourselves over the years and these illusions that we have in our mind about what reality is drag us down and they um, make us depressed and sometimes feelings are part of the experience that we have in this life it's part of why we're here is to experience these feelings and so depression isn't a bad thing sadness isn't a bad thing it's a feeling that helps us learn if we look at it that way and it's part of our survival really is learning to deal with these emotions and learning to deal with these feelings and that that fear that sadness that comes about when you watch that clip it, it's it's the fear that I think keeps people from going down this this journey of their own spiritual development is that you know it's going to be hard you're going to have to face the long night of the soul you're going to have to face things about yourself that you don't really want to face but it's part of the process it's something we have to do and as I described in my own personal experience I pretty much had to separate myself from Christianity and spend a few years letting that sink in before I was able to rediscover my own personal spirituality and bring it back in in a different way from a different point of view in a more real reality-based way instead of a fantastical storytelling way like I previously was taught in church. So here's the question that leads us to next. Then what do we believe in? What should we believe in? You know, I'm I'm telling you that you shouldn't be necessarily, you shouldn't be praying to statues and you shouldn't believe in stories that you can't confirm. But what should you believe in? True faith is what I'm going to describe here as something different than what I learned in church. I see true faith as faith in yourself. True faith is taking your first step or your second or your third step when you're a little kid and knowing that even if you fall down, you're going to get back up and you're going to figure it out. True faith is looking at something and using your own discernment and making your own decision. It's checking in with your inner self, your heart, and questioning things and coming to conclusions is believing in yourself. That's why this ancient knowledge of know thyself is so important. This That ancient saying is so important because it really is what I would call is true faith, is learning to have faith in yourself. And that doesn't mean going out on a limb and saying things that you don't know. It means checking things out until you're sure about them. And um, sometimes that's checking in with others. Sometimes that's reading different books. Sometimes that's meditating on an idea giving yourself time to think about it. I often um, encourage people, if you have a deep question that you're having trouble answering, is to ask the question, even say it out loud. Ask it to yourself and then wait one, two, three days and just observe in that time what people say and what movies you watch. and um, You'll find answers. The answers will come to you. If you knock, the door will open. Again, a very valuable piece of wisdom from the Bible that I appreciate. This is the one thing 
that we really know for sure is that we have this human body that we were born into. We have the ability to manipulate it, change it. We can move our hands. We can move our head. We can move our eyes. This is our temple. We're the emperor of our own temple. And this is our ability to connect with the divine, the source energy, where we came from. Life is amazing. You know, we just popped out of the womb. And how does that all happen? It, you know, as I pointed out before, there's an intelligent design. But once we exist in this realm, we have opportunity to change things and do things. And the one true connection we have to the source energy is our own body and our own mind and our own soul. So if you want to believe in something, believe in yourself. If you're having trouble believing in yourself, that means it's time to work on your confidence and start doing actions and doing things that strengthen your resolve and strengthen your belief in yourself. I think often why people lose faith in themselves is because they don't keep their promises or they tell lies to themselves. And as long as you're telling lies to yourself, it's going to be very difficult to have true faith. To, to have true faith means to be exactly what you say, to do what you say you're going to do, and to try to be the person you want to be. And that takes incredible power in fighting through all those difficult feelings like we described of depression and sadness and anxiety and all the rest. So how does that break down in day-to-day -day life when you choose the easy path? You do what everybody else is doing. That's like the picture on the one side here where you see all the cars zooming down the road on the freeway. And then we see the lonely, scary path up into the mountains on the rocky soil. And that's the road less traveled. Almost always in life, the harder decisions are the better decisions. It's doing what you know is right, even when it's difficult. The easy path is always going to be out in front of you. And that's going to be just kind of following the herd, doing what the rest of the sheep are doing. But if you want to find your own personal path of, like I described, true faith, that requires um, building your own self-confidence, which means choosing the harder decisions and going down the road last traveled. It means taking the path that other people aren't taking and asking the questions that other people aren't asking and seeking solutions and not giving up easily but continuing to fight for truth. So what is divine intervention? This is one of the most tricky aspects of this spiritual journey and this what am I talking about by God? You know, um, the other thing that I always really struggled with in religion was this idea that God's this guy in the sky that can reach down and change your life and say, oh, no, I don't like you doing that, so I'm going to make this happen or, you know, um, you shouldn't have done that, so here's the result. You know, I'm going to change this or that. But then it makes you ask then, like, why do people get sick? Why, do, why are people dying? Is it just because they did something bad? You know, because you'll know somebody who was innocent, a young child who got leukemia and died, and what did they do wrong? You know, it seems to me very obvious that that's not really the way things work, that that's not the type of God I'm trying to ask you to consider as being reality. The type of God I'm asking you to experience as reality is just the source code. This is the way I've begun to see it. Reality itself, everything, all, the universal creative energy, what everybody, everything, and every single 
part of existence comes from, the source energy, we could call that God. And if we do that, we begin to see that there is divine intervention, and the way it occurs is through our personal life. So here are the questions that came up that people ask, what is God? How does God directly influence or change your life? And does God play with humans like chess pieces? So those are the type of thinking that I'm trying to um, ask you to reconsider. And I don't think that we should look at God as this force that, you know, sends down a lightning bolt to change you and make you turn left when you should have turned right. Um, This is in order to get to answers of what we should do in life and to change our direction. We do need to ask these questions, but it's important not to think of humans like chess pieces that God is playing with, because that type of viewpoint leads us to false beliefs, as I described. But if we look at God as like what I described before, as just good, goodness, that which is not evil, then we begin to understand that it's just part of what we are. And if we can meditate or use our brain, both hemispheres of our brain, we can talk to other humans, we can write things down, and we can interpret what's wrong and right, then that's how we get at what I'm going to call divine intervention. And that basically what that is, is just basically touching into the source code of reality. And the way that I've experienced that in my life is through synchronicity. Over and over, this was one of the things in my own personal life that made me realize that I didn't want to give up on the idea of God, even after I had given up on the idea of the religion I grew up in, of Christianity because I had experienced so many synchronicities, so many feelings. Sometimes I get um, a feeling all through my body, like shivers running up my neck, tingles in my head, and these happen at important times. There's um, numbers that show up. There's, um, you know, somebody will say something on the television, and then a close friend will say the same thing, and then I'll see it printed on a wall somewhere. And there's these incredible synchronicities that are just too awesome to be, ruled out as just chance. And if your eyes are, and your mind and your spirit are open to synchronicities, you'll experience them. And so that's not what I was, when I was talking about divine intervention, I don't see that as this godly spirit coming down and flashing a message before your eyes so much as it is us just being aligned with the source code of reality in touch with almost like being tuned in to a radio station and we begin to see the reality that's all around us. Things just start to line up, and we, we're able to see the synchronicities and everything when we're looking at it from a pure point of view with true faith, which is understanding ourself, why we're here, what we're doing with our time, and seeking our purpose. You will experience synchronicities, and that will be a way to get in closer to your divine connection, which is what I'm really trying to get at with this presentation is that we all have the opportunity to touch in to the great unconsciousness. I would also recommend looking into the work of Rudolf Steiner. He described something as called the wisdom that lies beneath. Another way to describe this is the great universal unconsciousness or the universal consciousness. There is knowledge that can be discovered. Where do ideas come from? 
when you get an inspiration or idea, does it come from you, from inside you? Or is it something you channel? Or is it something you discover? You know, um, that's something to think about. But the point I would say here is that people have discovered and rediscovered important things all through history, in dreams, in meditation, in their own daily journals, um, in their own daily travels. And the wisdom that lies beneath is the source code, the divine creative energy, the God that I'm trying to reimagine outside of the sorry structures of dogmatic thinking and religious storytelling. You don't need all those stories to discover it. Another way to see um, divine synchronicities and the creative energy that is in everything is to look at symbology. All the symbols that have been used in religions all through time, all the symbols that have been used to affect people's minds in modern day are um, a good example of the deeper layers within our psyche we're affected by symbols in a way that's greater than just words because symbols are like a word that's three-dimensional and often symbols touch us on a deeper layer. So when we relook at symbols with this new eyes of how do symbols connect us to our source, the creative energy that created to us, well, symbols offer us a way to understand things. Symbol, the reason I chose the tree of life, which you see behind me in this picture, is because it represents interconnectedness. We see the leaves on the top of the tree, and we see the roots under the ground, but they're all part of the same tree. The cross is a symbol that can represent many things. It can represent the horizon. It can represent the human body with the arms outstretched. These symbols can be looked at in different ways with different eyes as a way to meditate and to understand deeper concepts. And I would challenge you to look at and think about all the symbols you've seen through history and that people have used in places of power to encourage people or motivate them to do things that they want them to do. You know, there's so many different versions of these symbols, and yet they all take us back often to many of the same concepts and ideas. And they speak to us on a deeper level than just words do. And this is part of the way that religions have manipulated people. You know, when people were convinced to go destroy and kill other people for their beliefs. But when we understand how important symbols are and how they affect our psyche, we we can um, find our true faith inside and we can learn to interpret them and see them for what they are. And we can also create our own symbols, as in I described in my Tree of Life, to get across deeper meanings to people and to understand what things mean. And so even like I described the Bible and some of the problems with the stories and the way they affect people and the way people are misled, we can also relook at these stories as analogies and symbols and bring them into our life to um, basically don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. All these religious texts and stories are great because they have within them analogies and symbols that we can use to rediscover in our own reality. Let's keep in mind that symbols are extremely important. And they're a way for us to 
get in touch with the source or the creative divine. This idea of sacrifice, it exists in religion, and it was um, one of the things that I remember my father as a preacher explaining as one of the important things about Christianity that differentiates it from other religions. And it never quite made sense to me why in the story of Jesus he had to die for other people's sins. That, that never, I, I never really was able to completely understand that. But the idea of sacrifice um, does make sense to me more now that I've thought about it more. Um, we hear this all for one or one for all. And this is an important differentiation because um, a government or a religion will want you oftentimes to think that you should give up yourself for what's best for all. And I even use that phrase myself. Let's think about what's best for all. And we should make decisions best based on what's best for all. However, what's really important is that each of us protect the individual freedom of all other human beings. And sometimes there is a certain amount of sacrifice in, in doing that protection, in protecting others. However, if we're not able to protect ourselves, how are we going to be able to protect others? If we don't understand the importance of our own personal individual freedom, how can we understand the importance of the freedom of others? So understanding this difference between just giving ourselves up or understanding the value of one human being and ourself is an important differentiation. But sacrifice is part of the spiritual journey. Everything good requires hard work. Everything good requires some level of sacrifice. Let's just think of a few examples. Pregnancy. We wouldn't have more humans if it wasn't for pregnancy. It's a painful process. The woman has to give up part of herself. The baby sucks her energy. She loses part of her toenails. Um, her teeth, you know, the mother um, goes to quite a bit of labor. That's why they call it labor, because it's a frustrating process. So there's a sacrifice built into um, being born. And then death. Death is an inherent, it's going to happen. You can't avoid it. So it's just a question of when, and you have that choice. That's your ultimate choice. That's part of our ultimate connection is we go back to source. So um, sickness. Sickness is part of life, just like I described depression and sadness. These things are going to happen. You're going to have dark days. You're going to have days when you don't feel right, where you feel sick. But it's part of the process. Getting sick and feeling sad and depressed are part of the contrast that give you the joy when you feel great and the excitement when you feel good. So the point here is that your spiritual journey is always going to require a level of sacrifice, but that doesn't mean that you should sacrifice yourself for the beliefs of others or because you've been told to, because you know what's right deep down is a good reason to make certain sacrifices, because you want to protect the freedom of other individuals is a good reason to make certain sacrifices. But we don't want to sacrifice what's been given to us. We have this amazing potential, and one human can change change um, the world. We have many times in histories where people have done things that have affected 
generations to come. I think of um, Thomas Paine. I think of Martin Luther King, Gandhi, these people that have done things in history that have affected many generations to come. Each of our lives are extremely important and should not be sacrificed easily. So we should defend ourselves and protect ourselves and consider what sacrifices we're willing to make in order to reach our objective and goals. An inner knowledge. Where does knowledge come from? Where does learning come from? Where do um, inspirations come from? If you look into the subject of alchemy, you'll see that all through history there have been these people that have come up with these amazing ideas, the illuminated ones. And um, some of that has now been morphed and changed into these secret societies that call themselves the illuminated ones. But it goes back to ancient knowledge. It goes back to knowledge that's within all of us that we can touch into the source code, the divine creative energy that we all come from, that we're all part of, because it is reality itself. And when we tune ourselves in and we align ourselves with this and we know it exists and we have true faith, which is the faith in ourselves to learn and discover these things, we can become more illuminated and we can learn to be alchemists of our reality and where to put our energy and where to find inspiration that it does exist. Part of knowing it that it exists is a part of the psychic battle that we go through because the modern world is trying to convince you that we just live in a material world. It's just about, um, you know, the physical things you have and the place you reach in society, whereas, you know, all the spiritual aspects um, teach that it's really about this inner journey and about becoming enlightened within your own self and not needing things in the exterior world to um, rely on in order to be a spiritual person. So I think one of the best ways to go about um, getting in touch with that universal consciousness and getting in touch with that um, illuminated illumination to find inspiration is through thankfulness, the connection to nature, spending time in nature, um, appreciating the amazement of the world around us, and recognizing that which is. Just seeing things for what they are and remove the storytelling and our preconceptions and what we think things should be or we think things could be, and just looking at things for what they are. And when you do that, you tend to see the big problems in the world that are pretty severe. But you also see the amazing um, infinite nature of reality and the infinite nature of what God is, which is everything. So your attitude is one of your most powerful weapons. Your attitude allows you to take initiative. It, it's about your willpower. It's about engaging your willpower to take initiative. And that is all done by having an attitude of wanting to make change or wanting to do things better than you previously did, wanting to be a better person. It's about building passion for the things you love and care about. That's about knowing yourself and why you're here and what gets you excited. And that takes time to discover 
What makes you feel passionate? What drives your willpower? What helps you take initiative? Well, having a good attitude is a big part of it. And then discovering your own personal purpose. So another way I would like to encourage you to go about this process of changing your life and um, for me, changing my life and becoming the person I want to be is looking at the traditions, the ceremonies, and the rituals that we engage in. This is part of the problem I see in religions is that you see people just kind of parroting the same words over and over, standing up, saying the litany, sitting back down, and then going home and not really living those words. So this is also in politics, in government, all these um, evil structures we've built around ourselves that aren't really about helping us become a better person. They're not really about helping humanity um, extinguish evil. So this is kind of more like the solution part of this presentation. How do we become the people we want to be? How do we change the world and end evil? Well, we're going to have to re-examine our traditions, our ceremonies, and our rituals. We're going to have to ask ourselves, what is their purpose? Are they effective? Are practices that we're engaging in healthy, or are they harmful? Can we analyze and question them, or will we be called a heretic for doing so? Can we create new or better routines? When we're able to effectively ask these questions and challenge ourselves with these questions, then we have the opportunity to become better people and create new rituals. We can create new um, ceremonies that encourage the type of life that we want to live that are life-giving and um, community-growing type traditions. So this is part of the process that we're going to have to go through to become good people. How do we find peace in this world that has so much evil and war in it? and destruction. It's not easy. It's a long path. Here's a quote from a book um, that I really like called The Stellar Man by John Baines. Human beings prefabricate culture, morality, religious creeds, laws, and police systems to stop those who go against the common interests for that moment in history. They plan and program community life and the future of their children. Internally, however, the spiritual spark grows ever weaker in the face of progressive dehumanization of a world which in truth was never human to begin with, but only animal intelligent. The world has glorified science and forgotten human nature. That's John Baines from The Stellar Man. So much earlier in the presentation when I talked about the differences between humans and animals, and many people out there will say there is no difference. I think in many ways, a lot of those people are correct. There really um, isn't a difference between a lot of humans and animals because a lot of humans are acting in this animal intelligence um, frame of mind, as John Baines describes. The only way for us to become truly human and to separate from that simple animal intelligence is to reinvigorize and um, discover our spiritual nature, our connection to the divine, our connection to the source energy that created us, our connection to the reality, which is. And we would not exist without that reality. I want to leave you with um, what I've discovered is 
the actual solutions. Where do we go from here? We've come to realize that religions of the world are misleading and that people have been led by their beliefs to do terrible things and that good and evil are not what we've been told they are. Well, here's some of the ways that I would challenge you and that I have challenged myself to change this aspect of reality. And that's recognize the divine in your own flesh. This is what I'm just talking about. Be amazed by what your body can do. Challenge your body. Exercise is a good example of that. Meditation, breathing practices, running, jogging, climbing. Look at all the amazing things that people have been able to do with their body. um, There's never been a record that hasn't been broken. For some reason, um, these bodies we have don't seem to have any end to the capabilities. Perhaps there's a lot more we can do. Um, Seek truth diligently and publicly. Once you discover truth, you don't want to just keep it to yourself. You want to live that truth, even when it's difficult to explain to others. That's the process that we're going through with these presentations. Practice gratitude and holistic health. You have to keep your body strong in order to create the antenna that can tune into the source code. You know, if you're sick and tired and frustrated and you've got poisons and toxins in your body, it's going to be really hard to get through all that static and get in touch with the source, the creative energy that we all come from. And like I said before, being thankful is one of the ways to break through that static, to build mental fortitude by not giving up easily, willpower, as I described previously. Do not bend to coercion and oppression. Recognize that people, the small majority in this world trying to rule over us, are not better than us. Just because somebody calls themselves authority, that does not mean that they have knowledge that you don't have. And you can become someone who's strong in your own right, in your own knowledge. We have more information available to us on this planet than ever in history. And so you have the ability to access that information and discover truth. Seek to change. If you do tune in to reality and become illuminated, what you're going to realize is that this world is pretty sick with evil. And that means that all of us are going to have to change. And what we can do is we can end evil whenever and wherever possible. And that's an ongoing passion of mine. And I hope to inspire you to do the same. Uh, Last few thoughts on that. Seek and learn to recognize your own divine connection. And that often I see that through synchronicities and meeting people and talking to people. So that means being gregarious. That means meeting other people. That means putting yourself out there when you can so that people can find you. And that's part of why I put my work on the Internet on endevil.life is that so people can discover what I'm thinking about and learning about and they can communicate with me. Seek your purpose. Never give up on that. That's why you're here. Find your passion. You do that by trying different things, by trying your hand at different things and see what gets you fired up. That's the divine connection. Be the change you want to see in the world. An old saying that's very important and so much um, what we need to be doing right now. We are the heroes of the modern age, and it's time to engage your own personal power and strength to help in this fight for truth, in this fight for good, in this fight for what's right. You don't need a bunch of stories and miracles. You just need to get in touch with your own self and knowledge 
of what is in order to do that. And then the last most important part I want to share with you is the value and importance of teamwork. That if we work together, we can change the world. We can change anything. And teamwork is required. We can't do this alone. We're not a solitary species. Teamwork works through communication. We begin by communicating people with solid communication. We can build trust. When we build trust, we can begin to coordinate what needs to be done. And when we coordinate what needs to be done, we can cooperate and get those things done. And the more people that are working on that project, the quicker it can get done and the easier things can change. So teamwork is one of our best tools towards ending evil in this world. And it can be done. It can also be used to to get in touch with the divine. Because when we share our experiences with others and we find that they have synchronistic events, it solidifies our own experience and it realizes that we're not the only ones having these experiences. But ultimately, it's up to you to make the change and to be the change and to find the world that we want for our future generations. Not an easy project, but I challenge you, if you haven't already, to take a step forward on your journey and um, discover your inner self, discover your true purpose, and become the person that you want to be. Thanks, folks, for checking out my presentation. I appreciate your time and energy, and I hope it hits home with you in some way, and then I hope it can help you in your personal experience. If you haven't yet, check out my website, andevil.life. There's resources there and lots of episodes for further um, discussion of philosophy and understanding the difference between good and evil and what we can all do to end evil in this world. Thank you.